When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, 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 and welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast with me, PB, once again, and it is the PB and Pet Show. Hello, Pep. Yeah, I mean, no one else is turning up, so injuries, illnesses, and so on and so forth means that here we are. Just you well, they've go. had they've had their opportunity the last few weeks. I was on holiday. Um, we should have been recording yesterday, Monday, um, but spillover from my birthday at the weekend meant. I was still enjoying myself too much. and Let's be honest, if they're not going to record now whilst we're actually good, then when are they going to record? Mm. Well, the cynic in me says JB likes to uh, moan more, so he's probably waiting for our bad spell <laughs> and then he'll come on. But um, <laughs> unlike William Saliba, they haven't taken their chance when uh, injuries have created an opening. Um, and it was, once again, Saliba the big talking point on Saturday. How do you feel about the chant that everyone's uh, going on about? It was fantastic, and I can't wait to sing it on Saturday. It, really, though, I, I think it went on for too long. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> like, I just, I was sat there on my TV, I was like, I kind of zoned out a little bit because we were so dominant, and, you know, there was a two or three minute period where I was kind of like watching, but not really taking it in, you know? Mm. And. I didn't mind it, but I, I, all I could think was, if you're a fan of any club apart from Arsenal, you must be so annoyed. Yeah, and then when yeah, he scored yeah. as well. Yeah, I, the, the funniest thing was, like, I saw quite a few fans, they've stolen the chant that we use for this place. It's like, fuck off. You haven't invented that Case song. of every single chant, pretty much. <laughs> Get a grip. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to the start um, of that Bournemouth game to kick off the discussion, because it was another very fast, very confident Arsenal in that first half wasn't it I mean we didn't quite do it for 90 minutes and we'll get to that but that 45 minutes Pat and particularly the first 12 where we um, scored the two goals is that sort of perfect blueprint for what Arteta wants from this Arsenal team yeah I it seems as though we're speaking about the same thing every game so far Mm. Um, in the sense that the start of the games are blistering. I know Leicester wasn't as blistering, but I still think we had some quite good moments and quite good positions like in the attacking third. I don't think we were as dominant as we, we wanted to be. But mm-hmm. I mean, but easier opponent, but I would yeah. say yeah, this yeah. was Absolutely. longer, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, but I, I think that first... 25 30 40 minutes was just like again like the palace away game that first 25 was the best i'd seen arsenal play in a long long time this was the best i'd seen arsenal play for a long long time as well it was just ridiculous and look that you saw it from i think it's like minute 130 when we get the ball and they're so deep and it's basically in this kind of two five you know two three five or whatever we're playing now formation straight away and you could just see this is a very well coached side that is is ready to play um and boy did they in those 15 minutes right yeah and uh let's talk about the man who got on the score sheet twice because quite a quiet start to the season i mean i think he'd run the most distance in both the first two games but um hadn't been doing as much as maybe we'd like on the ball um and whilst he normally plays a role sort of earlier in sequence of goals. He got on the end of uh, both of these and quite pleasing for me really to see that finishing, that sort of killer instinct in the box. And I think um, that miss at Palace did sort of wake him up perhaps that he he has got to start being a bit more confident, a bit more selfish in front of goal. Um, And he talked about that in the the programme, I think, ahead of the Leicester game. So good to see him sort of still learning and, and adapting his game because 
there's goals here for him as, as well as assists, Odegaard, isn't there? And and both of those goals, he positions himself in brilliant positions, um, even sort of steals it off Jesus, but right to do so, had a much sort of cleaner path to goal um, with that second goal. What did you make of uh, how Odegaard had sort of, uh, you know, in other games he may have waited outside the box, but he sort of got himself right involved there? I think uh, I, I'm a big Odegaard fan. I didn't think he was particularly good in the first uh, in the game against Palace. I thought he was pretty good against Leicester if you rewatch it. This game, though, he was he was fantastic. Um, and the, the the thing I'd say the most is the minute he comes off, Arsenal are more than disjointed, and there's been all this talk of. Thomas Partey is a kind of single point of failure. I think now that we have Zinchenko and playing these inverted fullbacks, that feels a little bit less so. Um, however, if we look at Gabriel Jesus and Martin Odegaard, I do think they are two more. Maybe, like, I don't know. Can you imagine a game where we have Moel Nenny instead of Partey, but still Odegaard and Jesus? I think we'd be okay. But you suddenly put like Fabio Vieira and Eddie Nketiah there. They're still two very good players. Mm. I think that feels like, obviously we want to play our best players all the way, all the time, but I do just think he's the guy that knits it together. He's the, the kind of controller, the, the guy that has the power, the one that links the midfield to the attack. I think he's so important for this team. And then off the ball as well, he's fantastic, right? He, mm. You can visibly see him telling... Martinelli and Saka to sprint and close down the fullbacks. We have to remember this is a guy that's been playing pro football for seven, eight years now compared to Martinelli and uh, Saka who are two, three years. So this is basically like a 27, 28-year-old player. And uh, yeah, I've always been a big fan. I, I've not been really too concerned about the, the goals and assists in the past. I think he'll get plenty with this front three in front of him, both goals and assists. But I've always thought, like, are we better when he plays? Is our attack more cohesive when we play? When he plays, like, is our pressing and off the ball shape better when he plays? And the answer to all of those things is yes. So I, I've always been quite happy, but it's great to see him on the score sheet, in my opinion. Mm. And going back to your reliance on parties, that sort of point of failure, and I think, um, you know, very different positions, but I think what made Partey so important in in away games particularly when he was playing well was his ability to beat that press um sort of just shift his body and and take out a man in the really structured way that we might play against teams like Bournemouth um and Gabriel Jesus for that first goal I mean we've talked about him a lot but we have to talk about you know someone with that individual quality to the control the strength the ability to beat two or three men uh, that just completely takes apart everything Bournemouth would have worked on in the week. And for all the good football, for all the possession football, you need someone to, to spark that. And I think, you know, it, in some ways we relied on Partey to, to sometimes do that from a really deep position and then um, create an opening last year, having players that can do that in the front three is, is, much more important, much more efficient if we're trying to score goals from it. Um, and, you know, what else can you say about what Jesus done there? And I think he easily could have thought I could score goal of the season here and kept going, but he he sees in his peripheral vision um, Martinelli making that run. He was unlucky not to get an assist directly, but ultimately a goal for the team. I mean, we touched on it last episode, Pod, we uh, Pat, on the pod. Um, about how Jesus, you know, for me, I didn't realise how rounded, how he had all of these tools and, and that move just epitomised and everything he's got. I said last time that the thing that surprised me the most was his physicality. I think a lot of people have said like the close dribbling and, and the explosive speed, but I, I kind of always saw, saw that. For me, again, Marcus Nessie's first start in the in the Premier League, we know about the Eredivisie tax. It's been very well documented, right? We're, we're seeing Hakim Ziyech apparently going back to Ajax after a terrible spell at Chelsea. 
Um, it usually doesn't work out when a player comes from the Eredivisie to the Premier League. And boy, did he get a welcome to the Premier League with that shoulder barge. He just crumpled like a tin can to the ground. And the touch is perfect. Do you know what I'll say about the touch? Like, if you play football, you know this. But when a ball is going straight up in the air and killing it dead isn't that hard if it's not spinning. But this ball slices off Ben White's foot and it's spinning in the air and it's going kind of up and diagonally to the right. And he still kills it dead. And you can watch the ball. It like just stops spinning. <laughs> mm. It's just unbelievable. And then the the footwork, the power, the pace afterwards. I, I, I tweeted something along the lines of Van Persie, Sesk, Alexis, Ozil. They were all world-class, fantastic players. None of them, even Alexis, had the ability to just say, fuck this, this game is now mine type of thing in ter- like from a physical standpoint you could yeah. give Van Persie one chance and he'd score it you could give Ozil the ball in the final third with no space he'd maybe find a pass and, and take a game by the scruff of his neck Alexis could turn something out nothing um but I really do think there is something Thierry-esque about being able to get the ball basically on the halfway line and there are no tactics and no defensive things that you can do to stop a fast strong elitely skillful player getting past you and, and, and creating a chance or scoring a goal. There's just nothing you can do. That's why Kylian Mbappe is the best player in the world, right? It's because he's got the pace, power, and he's unbelievably technically. Um, if you think about who the best players in the Premier League right now are, Kevin De Bruyne, Mohamed Salah, they're both physically unreal. They're both technically unreal and they're basically unstoppable when they get like you saw what Kieran Tripper had to do to stop Kevin De Bruyne right uh the other night this is basically the atypical model of what is becoming the best player out there um Mm -hmm. and I really do think we've managed to pick up a player who at the end of the season I think people will be saying like shit he's a top three or four striker in the league he's Mm -hmm. a he's a he's one of the best in the world type of thing and i think it's going to look like a bargain yeah i think it's spot on there that we've had some amazing players uh, even in recent years but you know obamian is prime brilliant but he would have games where he's really poor and our excuse would be he got no service he you know we didn't get high enough up on the pitch as a team whatever with jesus it feels like you know and i know it's three games and we haven't played um, any top top teams yet, but it does feel like at least when he's on his game, he's got the potential to ignite this team by himself, and with that, should raise the level and, and bring others into the game and just raise that intensity in the front three, set the tone. And I, I love that he's one of the the, the vice captains as well now because I think he's he's continuing to speak really well. His attitude on the pitch is brilliant, um, and it's just. So far, pretty much like a dream that we've signed him. Um, and he continues to to break records um, with FPL um, chosen percentage. I think 82% of teams in, in fantasy football have Jesus. So that says it all. The league is recognising that he is um, excellent. And he's done very unlucky not to get a goal in this game and another assist, really. Yeah. Um, but you know the most important thing is I saw, I saw a funny tweet a which was kind of like I saw a funny tweet from a United fan which was like bloody hell Pep Guardiola had Ronaldo 9 reincarnated playing on the touchline mm. <laughs> which uh, which made me laugh but like again it's it's I know it's a crazy comparison but you look at the two best strikers of all time Ronaldo 9 and Thierry mm. There are there are elements of what Jesus has done in these first three games, which I know people say the comp in terms of a signing is most like Alexis Sanchez in terms of a level raiser, and I don't really agree with that. I think in terms of a player, the physical similarities are more there than in Alexis Sanchez, if that makes sense. And I'm not by any means, any stretch, saying that Gabriel Jesus is as good as those two or will ever be as good as those two. I just think if we're making comps, that's more in the direction I'm now thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, let, let's see where it goes. Let's see what, what he can do over a full season. But um, certainly an absolutely excellent start. I wanted to to talk about another player that maybe hasn't had 
much discussion um, since the game, but the, the situation at right back, Pat, I think everyone has sort of acknowledged not changing the team so far. Um, you know, three unchanged lineups, three brilliant performances. If there was one um, probably most popular change to make, it would probably be a lot of people wanted to see Tommy Asu come back into the starting lineup. For me, White keeps improving really and showing things that, um, again, we've maybe not seen before. And in this game, uh, against uh, you know a more defensive team, if there's one thing about White, we would say you know he's naturally a centre back, maybe can't contribute higher up the field. In this game, we saw a different White, didn't we? And, and he was really involved. He actually had the second most attacking third passes on the pitch. Um, and that was only one behind Saka, who he was obviously combining with. Um, we saw his ability to to sort of link play high up the field. And we saw it with the second goal, wasn't it? When he overlapped um, Saka as well, put in a decent ball, found its way to Erdogan for the goal. Do you think White is uh, going to play predominantly at right back for us in the, in the Premier League? Um, injuries permitting, can you see that? situation changing i i wouldn't be surprised if we see a bit of um three at the back this season i think that ben white will play when he's fit i these are all good problems to have i i really think Saliba and Gabriel seem to be making a good partnership there. I do think if you were going to be really critical, the player who's probably been the least best out of that back four so far this season is Gabriel, but he's the only left-footed one. We know how highly Arteta rates him. He's a leader at the back. I think um, Arteta clearly wants a left-footed centre-back in that back line. Hmm. What I'd say is I do think that Ben White is very suited to this inverted right-back role. I think, mm. I don't know if anyone watched the City-Newcastle game, but you see Walker kind of coming in field and it just looks so unnatural to him. But you see Ben White coming in field and then like pinging 60-yard balls with the left foot. It just looks very natural. And I think he's probably more naturally suited to that than Tommy Asu. In the same way that, you know, maybe we can compare Tierney and Zinchenko, but in this current system, Zinchenko is miles better. And the reason is because he can go and drift in field and, and pick up the ball and, and, you know, he can play 80 passes a game and you don't think anything of it. Tierney can't do that. So I, I think Tommy Asu can do the, the inverted job. I don't think he can do it as well as Ben White. So I do think that there is going to come a time there is maybe horses for courses or when a player comes in, um, we need to adapt the system. But again, Oli, like, Tommy Asu's strength is like as a lockdown defender, right? Um, when we lost the Spurs away last season, we were like, why didn't we play Tommy Asu on the right against Son, their best player of the season, and, and, and you know, give holding some help on that side? And I guess, you know, with Wilf Zaha, we've kind of seen that Ben White can probably play against any player in the league on that flank. So I'm not too worried about that position at the moment. I think I'm... Yeah, I, I, I'm fairly relaxed about it. Mm, yeah, and I think, as you says, sort of say, Tommy Asu can play across the back line, even as a left centre-back. I think he was playing for his country um, at times. So he'll get plenty of minutes. We've obviously got the Europa League, and it's great to have that substitution, which we've used now a couple of times, um, and get him back up to full fitness. Because Arteta did allude to the fact that he used people when they weren't 100%. Um, in recent seasons and, and it led to further injuries. He sort of admitted to that fact. So the ideal situation is we have a squad that means we never have to take those risks. And, and so far, we're lucky enough to, to do that. Just to reiterate, you know, White sort of forward thinking, 17 passes to Saka um, and his next was 13 to Partey. So both sort of ahead of him and then 10 to Saliba. So most people in the back four are sort of, to other defenders, but White very much um, looking forward, passing forward. And we haven't really talked about the all or nothing documentary, but, you know, a key theme that comes out of all of those dressing room talks that you see is Arteta and even the players sort of saying, pass forward, you know, play with confidence, stop playing backwards quite a few times. And 
White strikes me as a player who, you know, he's had some bad games, but seems to always have the confidence and and be unfazed sort of by opposition, you know, away grounds, etc. He's happy to play for it. He wants to play the way the manager yeah, wants him absolutely. to play. And that's why the manager loves him. And, yeah. and I sort of agree that unless, you know, there's a specific opponent or there is an injury concern that I think White now um, keeps that place. And, you know, we've talked about raising levels across the pitch and that's just going to raise a level further. Tommy Assey will work harder to, to come back in because as good as he was, he must have thought, you know, I've come to Arsenal, got injured most of the time. And as soon as I'm 50% fit, I'm straight back in the lineup. You know, that's quite... That's quite an easy situation at a club like Arsenal. That shouldn't be how it is. This should be the kind of situation he finds himself in, you know, having to get fully fit, prove himself in the minutes he's got and, and work his way back into the team. That's much more the level I think we, we need to be at. And uh, I, I think this is probably going to be the team, realistically, unless there's injuries, unless there's a heavy defeat and we need to change something until the international break before the, the Spurs-Liverpool games. Mm. Um, kind of feels that that's what's going to be the, the team. It feels very... <sighs> We've seen Arteta do this before, right? When something works and then he just carries on with it. Um, but the Xhaka left-back thing... Um... Will be interesting because next week we've got um, we've got Fulham at home, then we've got Villa at home midweek and then United yeah. away in the weekend. So a chance we maybe see, I don't know, if Saka... Um, is starting to look a bit leggy um, and we maybe do sign a new winger to, to they get a start there and there's maybe I think we a chance we make one or two changes or earlier subs if we're ahead in, in yeah. either of the next two games with the yeah, United yeah. game in mind yeah that is going to be interesting um, I didn't realise that but I I remember thinking oh we've got a midweek game yeah no, it's I, do, a I, I do wonder if there's any an Emil Swift row start there um mm. I think predominantly, though, the spine will stay the same, right? Mm. Um, well, I mean, they've got the data on the players. If they're not concerned physically about anything, there, there isn't a reason to change that starting lineup. But I think this is the first test across the league. You know, three Premier League games in a week, the five sub rule, which manager is going to manage those situations the best? You know, obviously, points is the most important. How can they? You know, I think Arsenal are in a good position to manage those three games, given we haven't got an injury at the moment. When did the Europa League fixture start? They start early September, don't they? Match day one is 8th of September. Yeah, so the draw's on Friday for the group stage. Yeah, so... So they're coming up as well. So the games are going to begin to pile up. So that Yeah, so actually what will happen is it will be Arsenal-Fulham 27th of August, Arsenal-Villa 31st, United away on the 4th of September, then the first Europa League game, then Everton at home. So it's actually back-to-back midweek games. Mm. And actually yeah. it's back-to-back midweek games for the rest of the, the year. I saw something <laughs> like that. If you're playing in Europe, I think from next week... I believe you're playing two games a week till yep. the World Cup. Yeah, but so, this, this is this is top level football, right? This is what we wanted. This is you know we won yep. the Champions League, but this is this is what you get, right? And, and our squad's in a good position to do it, so we can't moan about it. I think you know as much as we don't want to change the team, there is a challenge coming up for Arteta because when injuries did strike last season, we played pretty much the same twelve players, um, and the squad struggled to then fill in seamlessly and and adapt so um interesting to see how he sort of integrates those minutes um even off the bench in the next couple of games so that these players are ready um to come in and i think you know i'm feeling fairly confident about that but let's let's have a look at the off the field stuff because we've got just over a week to go in the transfer window now pat and um you know whilst we've had a fast start what i said in in my bbc bit today is we can't forget about the sort of opportunities off the field and to maximise on where we are because, you know, a lot of the bigger teams have had slow starts. You know, even the Liverpool's now seven points behind where we are. I know yeah. we're only three games in, but, you know, it's seven points. Let's um, Seven points is a lot of points, right? Um, let's be ambitious, you know. Think... Let's finish this squad if we can. We're already similar odds to win the title. 
as Liverpool are. Really? Is pretty funny, yeah. Mm. I, think I got £10 on at 35 to 1 at the start of the season. So. Whilst I don't think we're going to win the title <laughs> at all, I did have... Um, there's a top-up Christmas market, which I put £10 on as well, because we had quite a good start. And a lot of the big games... I know we got United away, but we do have a lot of the big teams at home first. I think we got a challenge in sort of turn yeah. of the year. Um, so... I do think going into the World Cup, we can put ourselves in a really good position. Um, and, you know, I know there's been a bit of talk on on my Twitter timeline this week anyway around what should be the priority for Arsenal in the window. But I think we're both sort of in agreement that we need another forward, don't we? We need a yeah. you know, probably a wide forward. And Pedro Neto had been talked about all summer, sort of loosely without any real solid links. Mm-hmm. Um, and then David Ornstein came out yesterday morning uh, Monday morning with a with an on bomb as they call it <laughs> uh, to say that Arsenal have sort of been talking to NATO's representatives for a month interestingly George Mendes client uh, of course is the agent of Fabio Vieira who we signed earlier in the summer and I can't remember if I just thought it or we talked about it um, off the pod or on the pod but it did feel like to me that maybe we were um, doing obviously doing that deal because Vieira, we think he's a fantastic player, but the way we sort of got that through quickly felt to me that we were um, building a bit of a relationship with Mendes, perhaps with another one of his players in mind. And this sort of links up with that. Do you think? Do you think that's that's fair to for me to be suspicious of? Um, yeah, I mean, listen. Jorge Mendes link is interesting. He has a stake in Wolves. Um, Pedro Neto's client. He's friends with Edu. I think there's a lot pointing to this one in the sense that it could happen. I, I first, I actually think we need a forward and a central midfielder, right? I think we both think that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely room in the squad. Um, I the Neto thing is it makes a lot of sense in the sense that we have seen him play both sides. He is very explosive. He is very fast, fairly good uh, with both feet, left-footed, which clearly Arteta has some sort of fetish for. And again, Portuguese speaking, so potentially part of a contingent where we've brought in, you know, two players this summer who can speak, or three players even who speak Portuguese. It looks like it could be a fourth. Um, we've talked about, haven't we, Ollie, that there are certain links with Arsenal now, which makes it more likely when a player from a certain country or uh, they speak a certain language. Um, are linked, it makes it more likely. Like we've talked about Yuri Tielemans a little bit in the sense that we know Mikel Arteta and Vincent Kompany are friends. We know he's the one that uh, linked us to Lukonga. We know Arsenal have been doing more scouting in Belgium. Um, and we know that uh, Arteta likes players from the Premier League. So we've almost got all the pieces to the puzzle now for both of these in the sense that there are enough factors there to make it seem that it could be fairly likely that potentially both these happen before the end of the window. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mm. Yeah, I think you know NATO, as you sort of said, makes sense in a lot of ways. He's he's Premier League, maybe not proven yet, but you know he's adapted well to the Premier League. He's had that injury which set him back, but he had a very good season before that. He's the age, you know. I, I did wonder if we'd go for someone a little bit more proven um, than than he is at twenty two and sort of twenty one, really, with that injury. Um, he's left-footed. You know, the only thing we really know about, whilst it's been talked a lot about Arsenal winning a winger this summer, the only thing we really know is that we won Rafinha, uh, who was predominantly a left-footed right winger and could play across the front three. 
um, which is exactly what NATO is. You know, he can play all three positions, uh, but predominantly he is a right winger with, that is uh, left foot um, predominant. Got those Edu links, as you say. He seems to be, from some clips I've seen on, on Twitter, a nice person, which uh, is sort of top of the list for anyone Arsenal brings in at the moment. He seems to be, you know, well-grounded, hardworking, very ambitious individual. Um, and as you say, so the Portuguese speaking element with some other other recent signings as well. And I think what they really wanted Arsenal was someone who's strong in 1v1, someone who, you know, like we've seen from Jesus in that in that goal against Bournemouth, someone who can just take the ball and, and break structures, taking on two or three players at once. Because, you know, we've got a few players like that now, but we could definitely do with another off the bench. And Pepe could do it, but it just had a lot of things that he couldn't do and didn't fit into our team. Um, so NATO, I think if you're losing Pepe, who can, you know, even last season, end of last season, that Wolves game came off the bench, goal and assist, made all the difference. Someone who can just, you know, break structures, give us something a little bit different. And NATO, definitely a player who can do that. I mean, he completed over two dribbles per 90 looking at his FB ref stats which is sort of 77 percentile um, against wingers and attempts 4.6 per game which is 90th percentile so he is a player who um, likes to dribble likes to carry the ball his progressive carrying distance is 95 95th percentile um, against other wingers so clearly a player who can I think bring what Arteta is looking for in wide areas. The thing that sort of made me say this was very unlikely to happen, I think on, on previous podcasts is I just didn't see a world where Wolves sold him for less than 60 million. And I didn't see Arsenal, you know, that we sort of capped ourselves around that 50, 60 million for Rafinha, didn't we? So I, I didn't see us going to the levels needed. Um, but what makes this interesting is that Wolves have signed a number of players in attacking areas, are being linked with another one um, on the back of this NATO stuff. And the early talks is that, you know, they could be looking for about 50 million Arsenal, about 40. So they, they may find some common ground in the 40s, which I just didn't see happening, Pat, because NATO as I've said before, signed a five or six year deal a few months ago. So yeah, that's why ever... I'm talking about the the agent stuff, you know? There's, there is also rumours, Ollie, and I don't know how true this is, about the uh, like top six Jack Greedish star release clause. And, right. and I don't think that's true, but I think if you're Jorge Mendes and you're like, well, look, like Arsenal want him, I can go get you this player, this player for price. Um, they've mm. already got Guedes. He was about 27 million, wasn't he? So not cheap. Um. I, it, it's one of those that makes sense. I, I guess my my question is: Should we go out and get these guys? What would then be the aim, considering the start of the season we've had after that? Because, as you said, seven points uh, ahead of Liverpool, we've got two very winnable games coming up. Liverpool have Bournemouth next, and and I know they have Newcastle after that at home. I I, I don't think it's going to be a season where two teams get 90 points. I think it's going to be a season where one team gets 85, 86, 87, and then there's going to be a chasing pack, 10 points or, or there or thereafter. Mm. Where, where do you, where, what, what do you think Arsenal could do this season if they were to get a, a winger in Neto and, and a central midfielder, Ella Tielemans? As good as this team are, um, we've yet to see what they didn't do at all last season, apart from that Wolves game that we just talked about come from behind, um, respond to adversity, respond to one loss, not allow that to become two or three like we did so often in, in the last couple of seasons. So these players have clearly got massive potential, brilliant players. They're all very young. We've got 21-year-old Martinelli, 20-year-old Saka, 21-year-old Saliba, and even the more senior players in Gabriel were sort of 23, 24 I think we've just got to enjoy what's happening right now. I do think there's still going to be bumps. And I think anyone talking of, I, I almost don't really want to say it, but, you know, the title is just, 
unnecessary pressure. You know, we may well win the next two games at home. You know, I could definitely see that. And we could be, I don't know, for, I'm not sure Man City's fixes, but maybe we're four or five points clear at the top. Um, but we always knew that these fixtures would be would be there and would be easier. I think the ambitions has, has got to be top four and see where you fall in that. That's not changed. And we should be trying to win the silverware. We should be trying to win the Europa League. Um, I think that'd be really big for this team to get some winning momentum, to get some winning experience. You know, obviously qualify for the Champions League, but we'd hopefully do that in the league as well. I don't see a world where we get close to Man City over the course of the season and um, what you just sort of talked about there. And I think, you know, we'll be in that chasing pack. Perhaps the early signs are with with every other team, you know, not not Liverpool <laughs> right up there. Um, but I see Man City as that team that have probably won it quite early this season, I think, yeah. um, to be honest. What about and, you? And, and yeah, I mean, we haven't really even seen Haaland in full flow yet players aren't used to playing with him we've seen a few bits of Foden not passing to him Silva mm. not passing to him that and he still scored three and he still got three goals one assist I think he's underperforming his XG as well which is not like him so mm. you know I wouldn't be surprised to see him get 26 27 28 goals this season um and I think City will walk it to be honest with you yeah. um but I mean just a question for you as well like we've now seen a lot of well not a lot but three fixtures worth of Spurs, Chelsea, United and, and, and Liverpool, um, who who seem to be the other names in that top six, in what order we, we have no idea yet. What have you made of them so far? Yeah, I mean let's start let's start with the the neighbours. Um we talked about it last week. They were very lucky against uh, Chelsea, didn't play very well. Didn't think they played well against Wolves, but you always felt they were gonna win the game. We've been saying it for the last year, you know, even under Conte, that they've not looked good or they've looked distinctly average fairly often, but they've just got the forwards that are going to rack them up points. So I think they'll be in that chasing pack that we just talked about purely because I just think they're really efficient um, at both ends, really. You know, the, Conte does set up a defensive structure pretty well and he's got attackers that can win him games. The midfield and the football they play is not pretty a lot of the time, um, but I think they'll rack up points. Chelsea were really good in that Tottenham game. Um, and I think they'll blow, I don't want to say like us because I want to say positive, but you know, I think they'll look really good like we have in some games and look like, you know, even amongst the best in the league, but then they'll have days like the Leeds game and I do think we're still going to have some days like the Leeds game, maybe not lose 3-0, but I do think this team will have some some days like that. Uh, it's about how they can blank that off and immediately return to their dominant football. I think their attack, they still not figured it out. And and Tuchel, he's had lots of players there worth a lot of money. He's had you know Lukaku, Havertz, Sterling, apparently going 60 million for Gordon, which I really hope they do. And Apparently bringing Aubameyang, yeah. Aubameyang, yeah. So, but for me, I think Aubameyang will get goals, but if they had Aubameyang and Gordon. Sterling hasn't scored a goal so far this season. Mm. And he's scored way more goals than Aubameyang in the Premier League. Like I think I think he'll have a patch, you know, when he scores five and five and, ever, and some Arsenal fans moan about it. But ultimately, you know, long-term for Chelsea, they're throwing a lot of money around but if their answer to a dysfunctional attack is Aubameyang and Gordon for close to 100 million and, and a load of wages on Aubameyang when you've already signed Sterling it just doesn't it's not connecting for me I'm not I'm not worried about what they're doing strategically no. a bit like Man United yeah, yeah. you know even you know, I watched it with my brother last night and he was like oh they're looking good when they're Casemiro you never know you know they might just just click but it's like strategically again i i don't see what they're doing you know they've gone from frankie de Jong to casemiro so that's a very different type of player in in that position i i'm not worried about them strategically they may have short term um results they may beat us next week you know we're at, at, at home 
um, if every player is playing their best, you know, these games can happen. I think they'll have some really good results. You know, they might beat a Man City as well as, as they have Liverpool. But over the course of the season, I'm not worried about United. I think Spurs and Chelsea are the ones that I'm looking at each week, hoping they drop points because I think they'll be closer to us. Liverpool, I know they've got a lot of injuries, but when you look at that bench, they've got five subs um, to use. They don't seem prepared for this. They're going to be in the Champions League as well. I think they could well be with with the teams we just mentioned and ourselves, um, unless they do something in the transfer market, because their bench yesterday was was really poor. They had nothing to, to sort of change it. I know they had Yota, Nunes, uh, Thiago, all out. Fabinho wasn't fully fit. Um, a couple of centre-backs as well. But when the Champions League kicks in and we're playing two games a week, they're going to... Teams need to be ready to deal with sort of having five injuries, I think. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is before, you know, so before October is up, and I know one of the other things that I wanted to talk about a little bit is just how, how maybe we should be giving Arsenal more credit for the wins that they've had so far, because every game seems to be tough. Mm. But Liverpool have Bournemouth, then they've got Newcastle at home, which is a tough game. Then they have a, a Merseyside derby away, which you never know how that goes. Wolves at home, which you expect to win. Then Chelsea away, Brighton at home, Arsenal away, City at home, uh, West Ham at home. So it's a but you don't know because because a good Liverpool, a good Liverpool will beat a lot of those teams, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they win them all. But like, it just feels a bit like they're teetering on the edge of burnout. You saw like Milner and there are a bit a few intangibles, right? Milner and Van Dijk arguing. Um, Henderson looked awful, was not protecting Trent at all. Joe Gomez looked really ropey on that right-hand side. Um, the amount of times that Alanga just got in between him and Trent or went round one, Remy on the other. Um, they were they were out-sprinted by, by United. Like, Liverpool never get out-sprinted by teams. Uh, Firmino's heat map looked like Lacazette's last night. I don't know if you saw that. It looked literally like his... No, no, seriously, his average position looked exactly like Lacazette's last season. It was pretty scary. Um, at times, it was just like, give it to Trent or, or Salah and see if th- something happens. And yeah. I just... Like, you can't wheel out a midfield of Milner, Henderson and Harvey Elliott. Like, that is well, a mid-table central say. midfield. I have to confess, I, I saw the United lineup and I, I said to my friends in the group chat, United fans, I said, you could be in trouble here. I didn't look at the Liverpool yeah. lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when I saw the game start and I saw, you know, Elliot, I'm sure he's got a bright future, but I've not really seen anything special from him yet. And then Henderson, who's eventually going to go over the hill, and Milner, who, you know, really good professional, good to, to come on and be around the club, but you don't want him playing the whole game at, at Old Trafford, really. Um you know, that's a poor midfield. Their midfield has never been brilliant. You know, Thiago is a great addition to raise that level. When he's not there, it's a very average-looking midfield. Um, but I think let's see how they do over the next few games because they could they could pull away from, from the clubs we're mentioning around them. I know what you're saying about sprints and stuff, but I think some of that is warped by, you know, Liverpool had uh, 71% of the ball. So they're not going to be as sprinting as much as United were when they're defending um, for their lives because they took an early lead and they barely got the ball themselves. Um, so, you know, but on the United front, I didn't see anything that really scared me. And and they could well beat us because at Old Trafford next week, you know, because that's a tough place to go. Um, and, you know, the fans will be well up for it now. But Oh, I, de- I definitely take a point. Yeah, yeah. Especially if we can win the next two. I think a point would be brilliant. Um, but over the course of the season, I'm not seeing anything that that could worry me for United really being in that in that top four race. Unless others are, are really poor, I don't think they'll get get the opportunity um, to do it. You know, Brighton and Brighton and Leeds are our top four rivals at the moment, aren't they? Some brilliant football from Brighton, and we yet to play them yet. They beat United on the opening day, and we all laughed about it. But they have beaten us. Two years in a row at, at the Emirates, isn't it? When we they got four points off, off us last season, didn't they? Yeah, so we'll see when that one comes around. But coming up, then we've got, as we alluded to, we've got uh, 
Fulham in the half five on Saturday. Then we've got Aston Villa at home as well in the week, and then United away. So we're going to talk. Three wins in fourteen, aren't they? Yeah, Villa look pretty poor. Um, Fulham, I think, have been had a great start to the season. I think could be a bit like a Leicester game. That I think they'll have yeah. some attacking threat. Yeah. Um, they do have gaps for us to try and exploit. So it could be a a fun game. Um, hopefully, we can do the score one more than you thing. And well, ideally, we'll keep a clean sheet as well. But I do think they're a team that can really test us. Mitrovic is come back in to really, uh, yeah. I think he'll target that. Yeah, he'll target it. And I think they could target Zinchenko as well defensively a bit more than, than other teams have. So be interesting. But, you know, we want to see this team have new tests. And I definitely don't want us to go go behind in a game. But I do kind of want to see how this new Arsenal can deal with that. Because it is going to happen. No matter how good you are, you're going to go behind the games. You know, we saw... City go ahead and then 3-1 down, come back to 3-3, which could be a really good point when you look at it at the end of the season. Um, we need to be able to tackle those scenarios as well. And I'm sure as much as we don't want it, we will get the opportunity to see how Arsenal have improved, hopefully, in those in those match situations. We've got five minutes left, Pat. I just wanted to touch on outgoings because um, there is just over a week left in this transfer window. We've got through quite a few players out the door now. Um, I think Maitland-Niles is starting to get some interest late in the window. Um, luckily for us, from some Premier League clubs, it looks like. Nicolas Pepe being linked to Nice and also now Leicester, which would be helpful um, if we're looking to shift him. There's still the Hector Bellerin thing, which stinks of we'll cancel his contract on deadline day and he'll go for free. Is there anyone else that you look at in our squad that you think could benefit it might just be alone or do you think that we should be potentially looking at cashing in on um if you want some thinking time i was going to bring up laconga and you know if we brought a new central midfielder would you keep laconga around or would you look to to loan him out um, i would i would keep him around i think um I would keep him around. I, I I kind of think about like what level of team he'd start at. Mm. Like who would he go to that he'd start week in, week out for? And I, I don't know if the Premier League is... Like a, team, a relegation threatened team, I don't think it's going to take him on, right? Um so, so it depends on the system and where they play him. I don't think anyone takes him on as a six in a relegation team. But if no. we see his long-term future as like an eight and a four, three, three, you know, I think this is a Belgium you know, international. Maybe, sure, maybe maybe Brighton lose a central midfielder, and they would love they, him to go there and play. Yeah, it's be better great. than playing for us. But at the same time, we have essentially got. Party, Xhaka, Elneny, Odegaard, Laconga, and then Sinchenko, Smith Rowe, and Vieira, who can play in those roles, right? I think Vieira probably the most out of uh, him and Smith Rowe in the, in the kind of attacking side of things. Sinchenko can obviously move into that position, but like if you move Sinchenko in, you need to put someone at left back and. You know, if Tierney gets an injury, then then maybe that's never going to be a, a central midfield option. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I just think this season with the World Cup, you're going to need a lot of options. You, you really are. And as we said, starting second week of September, it's two games a week until the World Cup. Yeah. Um, but do you trust him? Would you play him at six at all? I wouldn't play him at six. I felt the same as you. I don't think... How many signs in your contract if, if anyone trusted him to play six, right? But I thought the same as you, you know, keep him around options. And then I thought, well, do we trust him at six? There's no signs the manager does anymore. There's no signs we sort of do right now anyway in his development. And then you look at it and think, well, if we bring in a Tillemans or, you know, a number eight that can play left eight, when you look at our bench, and I know everyone's fully fit at the moment and that won't happen, um, 
it's probably him that needs to go off the bench because you need El Nene there because he's the only one who can cover six. Um, we've already kicked off holding, I think, for the new forward based on the bench this weekend. Is it great for his development to be missing out on much day squads? I know we got the Europa League. He can play lots of minutes in. But even then, you know, do we need to be given that time to Vieira to play in that left eight? Smith Rowe, perhaps, to play the left eight against weaker opposition in Europa League? You've got Xhaka. You've got the new guy who can play left eight. You've got Zinchenko, as you say, who could play minutes in left eight. There's a lot of people who could play there. I'm not sure we would need him. Um, I, I, I wouldn't player. worry too much. Like City have just signed, is it Sergio Gomez? He probably won't make that many squads, right? Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much just because this is what happens in football. Um, if you go through Liverpool squad, they're going to have to be dropping a lot of those players out the um, out, out of some of those matchday squads. They had their under-18s on the bench this week. I mean, Lecon- yeah, I yeah, get Lacombe's young. But right, right now, we're fully fit. Like, mm. we're, ne- we're not going to be fully fit all season. We're going to have suspensions. There are going to be opportunities, right? No, but I just think if he's left eight, which it seems like is his only position, you've got Xhaka Zinchenko, new player, Fabio Vieira, Smith Rowe, um, you know, Erdegaard, Saka, even put, move across into that. There's there's a lot of options that I don't think we'll ever be thinking. Oh, we really should have kept Lukonga from from not going on loan. And I'm just thinking for his development because I think he has the potential to be brilliant. And I'm thinking, you know, it's maybe one we do in January after Europa League group stage. To be fair, rather than now, um, because he can get some solid minutes in that group stage. But he is young, but he's 23 in in next month um, in October which is, you know, he'll be looking around. And we saw him a bit disappointed in, in the All or Nothing documentary as well for for not being in the starting lineup. And I'm just thinking the impact on him in squads, not being in squads, World Cup year. You know, he's he's unlikely to get in that Belgium squad if he he's not playing Premier League minutes at all. No. Um, and only, whilst he's 23, only... he's most of the team that starts is younger than that. <laughs> so Yeah. But like the only thing I'll say is January will come around very quickly this, this yeah. season. And I I do think that there is a chance that one of these signings, the forward or the central midfielder, happens in January. I think yeah. that's going to be used as a real proper window for teams. I said it before that during the World Cup, a lot of the coaching staff, Edu, Arteta, the scouts will basically have a, a month and a half off where you know they'll be training with some of the players that haven't gone to the World Cup, but predominantly... You know, I'm, I know what Eddie's probably going to be doing. He's probably going to be ringing around, mm. trying to see if he can improve the squad. Um, uh, maybe that's why we're waiting on t- Tillemans because he'll have six months on his contract and he'll be yeah, really maybe, cheap. maybe. I, uh, the thing about Lakonga is he's not twenty anymore, and that's to your point. It goes both ways in the sense that he's twenty-three. He's a Belgium international. He needs to play minutes, but at the same time. I don't think he's anywhere near Xhaka. I don't think he's anywhere near party in any of those roles. I don't think he's anywhere near... That's the thing, and he's not going to get there no. unless he's playing regularly. But, like, I don't think Arsenal... I think if this was last season, maybe. But this season, I think there's going to be room for less project players, right? And you could argue Fabio Vieira's one, but he is at the end of 21-22. Um straight from Portugal, very highly rated and, and a bit more of a forward. So you can kind of hide forwards a bit more or attacking players a bit more. I, you know, we saw the Milan links and I know everyone didn't believe them and that they're not from a good source and I certainly didn't believe them. But you have to think, right, like, and I said this to 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 you guys in the chat, like if you can sell Lukonga and get Tielemans for only 10 million more, and he's two years older. You kind of have to look at it like they're both Belgium internationals, right? Is Lekonga going to be where Tielemans is in two years? And I think JB was kind of saying, oh, well, he has to play. He hasn't been given the opportunity to do that. But like, that's true. But if you're good enough, you're given the opportunity to do it. And I do have this feeling that I really like him. I really like the style of player he is and the type of player he is. I think he's quite unique. I just don't know if he's 
good enough or ever going to be that good. And and the the better this trajectory of this team goes, the harder it's going to be to get minutes in this team. And you have to get, you're going to have to be really good. You're going to have to be really up your game. Mm. I I really like him. I hope he makes it Arsenal. But look, not every player will, and that's okay. And if he goes in the summer, next summer or in January for twenty million quid somewhere, and he goes on and does really well, and we buy Tielemans or whoever it may be in central midfield, sometimes there's situations where it's best for for all parties. You know, like look at Jesus, Haaland, Arsenal, City. You know, mm. I don't think anyone's disappointed in that. Thing. Joe Willock. Joe Willock. Um, mm. There's going to be loads of examples. And... Maitland Niles. No one wanted him sold back then turn down 20 million now we would bite your hands off for 10 yeah and, and look like as i said lakonga's 23 he's not 20 anymore at some point there's going to be a decision made um i i don't think that this summer i think that he's going to be here till january but hmm. if you're saying to me now that oh pet he gets sold for 22 million in january i wouldn't be that shocked no, I what I would do on reflection is is give him a lot of minutes, most of the minutes in the Europa League group stage. Yeah. See where we're at in January, with injuries. See how we feel about the player then, um, and make the decision yeah. then. Because you think about you think about the Europa League squad or first team being something like, I think Turner will probably get the group st- group stage games. Although I've gone back and forth on this because Ramsdale's never played in Europe, so. I have a feeling mm. that Ramsdale might play, play in Europa League and I do think it is important that we give as many minutes as possible to a young keeper because this is kind of where he's ahead of the curve, right? He's had more minutes than pretty much anyone apart from Donnarumma, his age, his age group. Mm. Um, it'll probably be Tommy Asu uh, and then, you know, holding and then one of the centre-backs, you know. Uh, it'll probably be Tierney and then we'll probably have... Elneny, Lakonga, Vieira, Smithrow, and Ketia, and then Marquinhos or new new wide forward, right? Mm. Yeah. And if you look at that lineup and you think if there's a new central midfielder that comes in, who drops out of that backup lineup type of thing? And maybe in the Europa group stages, it's Mel Elneny, right? Like maybe you play Tielemans or Lakonga at six against like a very lesser opposition and it doesn't really matter but in those crunch games later down the line in the knockout rounds maybe maybe he doesn't even find himself in those league in his uh in those teams so mm. yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens there yeah let's see where we're at then and let's see where we're at this time next week we'll talk before the aston villa games so we'll talk after the fulham game which will hopefully be another fun but positive result to to talk about. I must say, I'm going, and I haven't looked forward for to an Arsenal game for a long, long time like this. And also, mm. it's been impossible to get tickets. Yeah, so, um... I've been desperate. Anyone listening, let me know. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to get to that Bournemouth game. It was on my birthday. It felt destined, um, but you know, we won without me. I was cheering along at home. It's fine. It's fine. Um, we've got to move on. I've got another busy day ahead, um, but it's been great to to catch up and talk positively about Arsenal again. As you said at the start, lots of similar themes, lots of similar patterns, but positive patterns to, to talk about. Um, a lot would have probably happened by this time next week, as well as the Fulham game. You know, we'll be right at the end of the transfer window as well. So let's keep an eye on that. There's uh, lots of stuff going up on fresharsenal.com at fresh underscore Arsenal on Twitter. You can follow us on the podcast account at Fresh Arsenal Pod. I've been joined once again by Pet, who is at on his new Arsenal account at AFC Pet. So give him a follow if you haven't already. I've been Ollie Price Bates um, at Ollie Price Bates on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you again next week when we're hopefully still top of the league.
Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.